0: We're going to turn to uh, our discussion for today, and I uh, will formally introduce Kyle, uh, Wizard of Donut Access. Uh, Kyle, hi, how's it going?
1: That's actually on my business card it's Wizard <laughs> of Business Access. Yeah. Hello, yeah, everybody.
0: That's good. <laughs> Thank you, Kyle. Uh, We are continuing our discussion series, God of the Oppressed, the phrase that we've borrowed from uh, the late James Cone, a writer on Black liberation theology, who we'll talk in more detail about before today is over, actually. Uh, We've been immersing ourselves in various different people, uh, oppressed people groups' perspectives on Jesus and on faith and on God and on the Bible, uh, one at a time. And the reason is because in America, what colors most of our understandings of Jesus and of God is a powerful perspective, a European American dominant culture, white straight male perspective on faith in Jesus and God uh, and on the Bible. And uh, whether we grew up in church or whether we were just grew up in America and knew that you know, church existed out there, most of what we think, if there is a God, what does it look like? Or if, there, if the Bible has anything to say, what does it say? It's what powerful people say it says. Uh, So this has serious limitations, and this is what we've been leaning into. Uh, For one thing, we are not really talking about Jesus if we're talking about power, because Jesus was an oppressed person. He was a minority within an empire. So if we want to understand him, we can't really go from the empire perspective. We have to go from the minority perspective. And then also because just like functionally, when any of us are facing the hardest things in life suffering or loss or challenge we don't turn to the most powerful people to tell us like how to get through that we turn to the people who have been through hard things who know how to guide us through what we are facing and so we need a god who sees that we need a a god who knows what it's like to endure and overcome pain and suffering who knows what it's like to experience injustice uh, personally and then who has learned to fight it and find hope in spite of it It is oppressed people groups, much more than people in power who can teach us about that God. So that's the purpose of our series. So today's guest, I'm thrilled uh, to uh, bring in um, who we're speaking to today. You may recognize him as someone who is often behind the drum kit when church is in person. Remember that when we would have donuts and church was in person? Uh, It is my friend, Lester Mitchell. Hi, Lester. How's it going? Hey. Good to see you, man. Uh, So even though he'd never suggested himself, Lester is as thoughtful a theological mind as there is in our church, uh, and has been a long-standing member of our church's podcast group, which talks about the Bible and theology. Um, As a Black man who has lived in both uh, the South, in Louisiana, and here in Chicago, uh, and who through his experiences in church, in school, in uh, playing music, in uh, rock climbing uh, communities, uh, he has lived in both. Uh, predominantly Black contexts and predominantly White contexts. And so Lester has gained a ton of important perspective. I'm super grateful that he is up for sharing with us. And uh, we're going to be talking today about Jesus and the gospel from a Black man's view. So Lester is going to elaborate on a few uh, points that we've prepared for you guys today, one at a time. And Kyle and I will offer questions and comments as we go. But we also want to flag again that Allison is moderating our chat today and would love to get your questions and comments as we go along as well. So please feel free to chime in as we move forward. Uh, If you have a question for Lester or if you have something that's resonating with you and you just wanna bring that into the mix, um, we will do some, some live discussion moderating. All right. So Lester, uh, I'm gonna put up our, uh, our uh, points that we prepared here so we can uh, look at them and then we'll take them one at a time and you can just, uh, you can just tell us what we're looking at. Oh, excuse me while I, while I uh, jump through all of our music here.
1: Would you like me to sing along as fast as I can? I think
0: you should, as fast as you can, Kyle. That'd be great, yes. We're blessed the city, we're blessed in the city. That's great. All right, so Lester, our first point uh, for today is that when you are black in America, you see the lynching tree is the window that best reveals the meaning of Jesus's cross in our land. So Lester, tell us more.
2: Yeah, I think there's a very literal way you can take this and uh, more of a spiritual way you can take this as well. And so starting with the literal, um, when you look at how lynchings were done, they were done communally. Um, You had big groups of people. They were often pre-planned to come watch essentially the torture of someone. And so if you think about Jesus on the cross, that's kind of what we're taught about Jesus is that it was actually the, the crowd. It was the people that wanted to see him killed um, for what he's done. And so that's the very like literal interpretation to me um and then the more spiritual is also what that's brought about and so you can think do you need you know is violence necessary to move forward have have humans essentially required violence not that god does but has have humans required that you see a lot of death and violence um as black people have tried to fight for their freedom. Um, And then also, Jesus's death and resurrection is supposed to kind of bring us all into this new life. And I think there's a little bit of a, a connection there, in the sense of when you look at just structurally, how civil rights for many different people groups has kind of built up in America, a lot, a lot of it is built on the civil rights of black Americans and what they fought for, so
0: yeah. It, so in the same way that like Jesus is this flashpoint for the, uh, the liberation of, of like all people or like, sh- like the, the liberation of Jewish people, the liberation of people under the Roman rule in that time, the experience of black Americans is also sort of a flashpoint for further social justice moving forward in America. It's, it, there, is, there, is, there are few people groups who can claim such a deep and close parallel with Jesus' actual experience, that, that's amazing. Yeah.
2: yeah, I think if you were to uh, look at black feminist um, ideology, you can kind of see that intersectionality is a big part of that. And I think if you were to look at the protests looking contemporarily, um, you see how different protest groups are using intersectionality so that we have the flashpoint of George Floyd, um, very much a like racist, black, Black-focused problem. But protest with uh, intersectionality, the rights of people, uh, the rights of women, and really trying to, trying not to let us forget that there are other minority people, groups that we're bringing along with us
1: it's uh, it's the w- it's using that space to advocate for the injustice and marginalization within our society and the intersectionality of where that is not a, a singular experience that there is multiple experiences of that and I, I mean to me i find the framework of thinking about a lynching helpful to me because it feels so abrasive to me like it feels so whereas the cross in a lot of ways has been i don't know pretty uh, Made it into a nice, yeah, it's really tamed yeah. for me. The experience of a cross, it's like um, you know a, a cultural signal to the world around you that you adhere to kind of cultural Christian perspectives. It's uh, you know most powerfully when I think about this, I think about you know the KKK burning crosses like that. Those those images in my brain. Um, in a lot of ways in our country to to rock across is putting yourself in the majority in the power like it's that mm. is a like you are almost signaling hey uh, you know you don't have to worry about me guys I'm part of the the normalized experience of this country whereas I think what you see in the life of Jesus and the death of Jesus being not at all a tamed experience you know I think there's a lot of problematic ways that historically we've leaned into thinking about the passion as a way to kind of manipulate emotion in people, the, the mm-hmm. experience of Jesus's cross. But, but I think on the positive side is recognizing the deep suffering and injustice of it and the public ridicule by those who had power around him. And this, it, it's more than just the power. It's the status quo cheering on that death. Right. And then okay. Jesus. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. He's, he's, Jesus is upending the status quo. Mm-hmm. And you see that a lot in lynchings in the most minuscule way. In in the smallest ways of upending uh, what the white majority viewed as power. It's like that black person talked to me wrong or like didn't mm-hmm. give me the respect. And it create, out of not giving me the respect, that small little upending of power they grab a whole group of people to watch a lynching and so it, there's that exact parallel
0: yeah it's all about power and I'm, I'm struck by this idea that that to claim the cross like to to hold it up to make it something that's important to you is much more about claiming suffering, your suffering, the suffering of the world, not about claiming power or what you feel you're entitled to. That's a really different in than most of us have been taught what the cross is actually about in America. Mm-hmm. I wanted to pull uh, one quote uh, from we, we've, um, the, the man we've taken the title of our series from, uh, James Cone, uh, and I wanted to read it. It's a, it's a bit of a lengthy paragraph, so bear with me, but I think it's, uh, it's got a lot there. So this is from James Cone's book, The Cross and the Lynching Tree. He says this, God saw what whites did to innocent and helpless blacks and claimed their suffering as God's own. God transformed lynched black bodies into the re-crucified body of Christ. Every time a white mob lynched a black person, they lynched Jesus. The lynching tree is a metaphor for what white America's crucifixion of black people. It is the window that best reveals the religious meaning of the cross in our land. In this sense, black people are Christ figures, not because they wanted to suffer, but because they had no choice. Just as Jesus had no choice in his journey to Calvary. So black people had no choice about being lynched. The evil forces of the Roman state and of white supremacy in America willed it. Yet God took the evil of the cross and the lynching tree and transformed them both into the triumphant beauty of the divine. And so there again, we see just this taking something that is the, the essence of power grab and brutality and defensiveness and, and blame shifting and violence and, and, and taking it and claiming it and saying, I'm going to expose just how broken it is by turning it on its head. All right, well, let's take a look at our second point here, Lester. The second one we have for us is when the suffering of your people has been rationalized, you see Jesus's gospel is grounded in actual human experience, not timeless rational truths. All right, Lester, tell us more.
2: Yeah, so this came about with the critique of the major Christian narrative that um, we can come to this in kind of a rational mind, rational discord and, and thinking um, versus more emotional. But I don't, I think what the black experience can, can get you, can show you is that you can't actually separate those things. In in a way, just recently I was listening to um, someone talk about the difference between Malcolm X and and Martin Luther King. And in some ways, Malcolm X is that emotional, you know? And in some ways he's talking about, um, you know, if you come at me, I'm gonna come back at you. And people will use that type of by any means necessary uh, they viewed him as violent, even though he was more so talking about self-defense than actual like forward violence. Um, people y- will use that to discredit him and kind of quiet down the movement. Um, but the reality is that there's truth in his critique. And so when you're purely going from a rationalist mind, it's actually really easy to rationalize your way in and out of power. Like we as, as people who are trying to fight power, we could try to play in the rational realm and try to rationalize our way out of power. But the powerful will always use these like clear rationalities um, to keep people oppressed. And so it's also, that's why it's so important to actually think about humans lived experience and I think when we connect that back to Jesus, you see that Jesus didn't go around being overly rational about this faith thing. You know, he wasn't like, oh, well, you have to follow all the rules. He went with the people who supposedly weren't following the rules, the, the outcasts, um, those people with the lived experience of, of being hurt by the power structure, structure. so... Yeah, that's yeah, like you, the first thing that comes to mind for me.
0: <laughs> I remember I remember uh as we were as we were preparing for this week, you said you connected this to something that I ha- I had no idea was connected to this conversation and it really struck me. Um the this idea like what what you were just saying was like Jesus would never say like you you know you're just hurt so you can't be taken seriously. You know like that's like the I'm going to rationalize why I don't have to listen to you because you're emotional. Jesus would like Jesus's approach is no, like you're hurt. So you should be taken more seriously. And you connected right. that for me to like tone policing and respectability politics and how <laughs> that plays out. And I, I I mean, that kind of blew me away. I was like, oh my gosh, yes, that's exactly what happens.
2: Yeah, because, you know, as as we talked about, I think there's uh, a reasonable <laughs> idea of maybe we shouldn't come just yelling at each other. Um, but the way that tone policing operates is someone is like really emotional and mad because they just saw another black man essentially lynched, um, and people going, the tone policing is like, oh, well, you know, you're just being irrational right now. Like, why don't we wait until we can have a calm, like level-headed discussion about this. And the reality is a lot of movement actually comes out of us listening to those who are hurt, listening to those who are having that quote-unquote irrational, you know, reaction. Because there's there's something there. If we purely wait for the the rational, all we're doing is really quieting those, mm. shutting those people up, you know? there's something there there's there's a reason why they feel hurt there's a reason why they feel they haven't been heard throughout
1: history it's this uh I think this piece of when our worldview and how we interact with other people and in the lens of faith is built around a kind of a an experience of beliefs and we're just like you know these are the truths that I live out of we let ourselves off the hook from actually encountering the humanity of the people around us and recognizing that we don't exist in a rational experience of life where we're all just sitting down and talking about what's that we all actually have lived experiences and we are reacting out of those emotions. And I mean, to me, this feels, and it speaks to me of my own, um, you know my own history of of being a teenager and having a my rational belief that um, LGBTQ was not a uh, a kind of affirmed expression um, as uh, in God's eyes, and so having people that come to me and talking about this and my my rational truth, ra- my rationalized the. Not seeing their humanity in that space, not seeing their need, not seeing, and, and I get myself in a place where I feel at peace with the suffering of other people because I have rationalized that into a way of I'm okay. And actually, your suffering is not about me. It's you're just reacting to something that it, we totally miss the humanity, we totally miss the way that Jesus interacted in his whole life because we are so, we're so much about trying to stay in line with whatever our, our rational truths are. And the truth is I kind of don't even think they're rational truths. I think it's generally we're inheriting the culture we come from and reinforcing that. And then the white supremacy of our country, the idea of white men setting the tone for centuries and centuries and centuries has created what we all accept are. It's like, oh, those are our rational truths. And that's how those things get perpetuated. That's, so that's not exactly the truth. But, but we use those frameworks to rationalize missing the injury and seeing the cost of the human experience opposed to actually seeing people's humanity, seeing the divine impact within each human being that we're around.
0: Yeah. It strikes me how much, um, you know, just talking about um, missing the, uh, missing the forest for the trees. uh, This is like you, you, if your gospel and I think like you were rightly saying, Kyle, that a lot of the theologizing, again, going back to the the heartbeat of this series of discussions, a lot of the theology that we 're familiar with from european American um, powerful white men to, like the goal of the theology is try to say something timeless, try to say something that will that has, stand, that has been true for like since the beginning of time and will be true all the way to the end of time, and you know like, I, I suppose there, there's something to that, but what happens when you do that? And when you make that your focus, and when that's the only thing that matters is you miss the, the experience right in front of you. And that's something that we see Jesus never did. You know, the, the, the idea that, uh, that he would miss a, a forest uh, for, for a single tree in front of him is sort of like one of, the, one of the key distinctions of Jesus's critiques of religion at his time, if you read the gospels. And so, so just that, yeah, that, I, I think that uniquely... It is this like, desire to say something timeless um, that, we, that, that is used in America with white supremacy behind that to let yourself off the hook, as you were saying, Kyle, to let people in power off the hook for not having to fully face the consequences of being a participant in violence, in, 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 in hurt and oppression.
1: And just to say like you think about the most kind of important things that jesus taught us to love your neighbor, as you love yourself humble yourself uh to you know rebuking the pharisees that they have forgotten you know justice and mercy you know and there's like a sense of you know what is justice and mercy what is loving another person what is humbling yourself that is not like a clearly easily like defined thing but instead we have we spent our attention really defining a lot of other things that in some ways violate the, the core commandments of Jesus, but we can kind of rationalize it because we're not living a, a lived experience of saying, like, how on earth is that loving that person? How on earth is that humbling yourself? How on earth is that living out justice and mercy? But we can rationalize it because love and justice and mercy and humility, I think, are lived experiences. They are not easily defined. And then you get, that's why I think you get our country so easily able to claim faith, but so so clearly not living out jesus and it's because we have rationalized ourselves through i think the most important commandments of who he is because we went to the other things that were easier for us to define and somehow put those second things first
2: yeah i think it's uh it's a it's a privilege almost to operate purely off of a quote-unquote rational mind to be able to step back and separate yourself from this lived experience supposedly separate yourself from your lived experience and and just be rational there's there's a privilege to that you know you even beyond race if you look at economics like for wealthy people to be able to separate themselves and be like well you know rationally this is why they're poor (laughs) and like this is what they did and didn't do you know it's a it's a privilege to be able to do that
0: that is so well said so well said all right our last point here and uh, we'll hear what you're thinking lester and then allison will bring you in to hear if there's anything going on in the chats as well uh when institutional or structural racism are part of your history you see, joy is a work of the people and an act of resistance.
2: Yeah, to, to me, this really connects to uh, my church upbringing. I mean, with, with the caveat anyone who's uh, <laughs> been with us long enough to have heard my story, I definitely have issues with theologically with the church I grew up in, but um, looking more culturally at predominantly black churches, the church I grew up in, there's so much joy in it. Um there's if you look at the worship practices, if, if you listen to how preachers like preach in many predominantly black churches, you really do feel kind of like this joy, this this hope, this happiness. And I I can't help but feel like that has to come out of the fact that the black church was such a refuge in this like white supremacist country you know so just that joy is an act of resistance and even on um even out in activist circles you may see at the end of some protests people dancing playing music um bringing out drums it all of that joy is an act of resistance in front of the powerful that kind of just want to squash, squash you, keep you quiet, get you out of the way.
1: It makes me think of uh, like, a third of the book of Psalms is this experience born out of struggle, oppression, you know, the, the Psalms of David, where he is on the run because Saul, the king is out to kill him and he's in, but yet there's almost a sense of like these deep experiences and expressions of joy and rejoicing and gratefulness. You know, I think we've talked uh, earlier this summer about the, the combination of grief and celebration and i think there really is a sense of like uh, to know the experience of, of injustice to know the experience of deep grief i think you know jesus is i think just wonderfully um, caring of us and in the way of it like it, it it does come together with an experience of acute joy that kind of a life of neutrality sometimes i think most of the time fails to meet that a life without difficulty, a life without suffering, it does make those moments of celebration fall a little bit more hollow. Whereas the experience of rejoicing, and it, it is an act of resistance because the status quo in a lot of ways should say, you should just feel beaten down. Like what do you have to feel joy about or in the more condescending ways if, if a person of money and privilege of like, oh, if I lived that life, my life would be terrible. And I would, you know, like there's a sense of like, um, you are too, to praise your life with joy and almost in a way that, you know, embarrasses the status quo, ex- rejoicing in even more joy than they see in like a year. Uh, there's like a sense of real resistance in in what that's seen. I think you absolutely see that um, in a lot of faith expressions that are born in contexts of oppression and marginalization that sometimes fall hollow in the more kind of experiences of faith that are born out of power and privilege and kind of being held up by the status quo.
2: Yeah, it, uh, something was pointed out in that uh, book, The uh, Cross and the Lynching Tree, that I, I thought was beautiful around this point of um, Black music uh, around the time of uh, segregation and a place for people to be joyous and dance just in what, while dealing with the white supremacist world that was around them. Um, And in a lot of ways, more significantly uh, more oppressive in some ways than even than what we're dealing with today. Um, And I do think going to kind of what you said, you also see that people looked down on that music, that they thought it was like evil in some way, derogatory, problematic. And and some of that music is stuff that we now study, like jazz, you know? Um, At the time, it was joy as an act of resistance and the powerful at the time looked down upon it.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. This is, uh, I'll drop in the chat um, when we um, finish up here, the name of another theologian who kind of helped us in preparation for this week. Uh, The name is Willie James Jennings. And uh, these uh, phrases that are in quotes here, joy being a work of the people and joy being an act of resistance are his phrases Um, and, uh, it's, if, if you're, if you're curious to read, uh, Jennings is, is, is a pretty readable theologian and some theologians can be kind of, uh, heady and hard to, hard to read along to. Uh, so that's another uh, place to go to learn more, uh, because we're running out of time. I want to bring in Alice and I want to see, was there any, uh, comment or, or, or question that you'd, uh, surface or a theme that's coming out and, uh, and we can pose to Lester for some final comments.
1: Yep. Sure. Um, there were, there were a lot of questions about um, Jesus not having a choice and like Mm. what that meant and what that looked like. Um, So a little bit of discussion there. Um, Rebecca said something really nice as like her way of understanding it. Um, But that was, that was like a big question piece. Mm. Um, And then also just like kind of recognizing that idea of the, um, that quote about it's, easy to rationalize your way in and out of power but it ignores the lived experience just like some real resonation with that and seeing that just put in a new way and enlightening this time especially.
0: Thanks Allison. Lester any thoughts on this question uh, around Jesus not having a choice it sounds like some things that we've touched on in conversations before I think.
2: Yeah I'm I Yeah, I'm not sure how much I've thought about it in that essence lately, but it also does ring so true. Something as I think Kyle was uh, talking a few minutes ago, something that pointed that came up to me was Jesus's lived experience was also very much his own in a lot of ways you know it it wasn't just the lived experiences of the marginalized that he was with it it was that and also his own people were also mad at him he Mm -hmm. he also had to worry about his safety and so yeah i think it i think it's interesting to think it if you're fighting for what jesus was fighting for do do you have Yeah, do you have a choice in in any of the stuff that even in any of the stuff that, you know, if you think about the, um, about the crucifixion, I think this goes back to that idea of um, was it really God that wanted uh, violence and and that Jesus had to die um, because that's what God wants or is that human nature? do we often ask for violence in which case it would have been it it was inevitable you know in in which case for for jesus to preach what he was preaching it would be inevitable that he would die
0: i love that i think i think that is theologically brilliant what you just said is maybe the question is not so much about choice as it is about inevitability and that that really that really ties it together nicely
1: you know, it is it, I think who Jesus is, the character, the heart of who he is, there there is no choice in the sense of if you present a donut in front of me, is there really a choice <laughs> if I'm going to eat it or not? It is true to his character that he was going to walk into the experience of suffering. And in that sense, it was inevitable. But then to me it's always been powerful because it's the, it's the juxtaposition of the inevitability of him walking into an experience of of absolute unjustified death because of the desire for freedom for us. Mm. That was almost an inevitability because of the character and the desire for us and the reality that uh, we, we just needed help. And he, he was stepping into that. But then there was also the act of surrender we see in the garden of Gethsemane kind of a surrendering to the inevitable for the sake of what it would bring. And there's the deeply lived experience of, you know, I do think about a lot of like the protesters, a lot of people that walk into an experience where like, you know, being arrested uh, experiencing these moments of great injustice, that there is a sense of like uh, I feel like there, there almost isn't a choice in this that I, I'm, propelled by my character and who I am to do this, but there's still an act of surrender to it, that I'm I'm surrendering myself to something more. And I think that I see that, that picture of, of Jesus of less of a choice and more of an act of surrender to what was going to be inevitable and to then walk through that in a way that invites all of us to, into the shared experience of Jesus's suffering because his experience of suffering offers the promise of renewal. And that's what we get to participate in, is the rebirth of of Easter morning. And I think to me, uh, that's why it is important to think about what does that mean, that that is at the heart of the character of God, that is the solution to our brokenness, was for, to walk into being broken. Uh, to me, if you think about the, the brokenness of our country, the brokenness of systemic racial justice, like, what does it mean for us to walk into that brokenness and not hide from it, not try to rationalize it, not try to defend ourselves, but walk into that honestly, because we, we know that we desire a better reality for us as people made an image of God and all of us, not just
0: a part of us. That's very good. Well, I, I hate to have to stop us, but we're, we're over on time and especially because you just brought it so full circle by bringing us back to donuts when we've been talking about Jesus and the gospel, that, that is the right place to end. Thank you, Kyle, for that. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to pray for us for a moment, just to kind of help us let this settle in and then transition to uh, to the end of our service. Uh, Let me pray. Well, Jesus, we thank you for this perspective. We thank you for uh, our friend Lester willing to share um, vulnerably about his own experience and what he has learned. And we ask that it would form us, uh, especially those of us in this community who are majority individuals who are white people, that this would really form us. And this would form our ability to look at what is actually happening with Jesus on the cross to to form our ability to understand like what is, you know, what is brokenness and what is being made whole when we think about like what Jesus is actually doing for us, but what a rich perspective for us to, to, to marinate in, to, to, to give us a, you know, a charge for the future, maybe to change, maybe that we need to repent. We need to think I have seen this all wrong and I need to recalibrate uh, but whatever it is, God, I, I just, I get the sense that you, Jesus, are leading us into life here. You're leading us into something that um, is deeply connected, as, as, as Lester talked about, with the all people who experience oppression or suffering, to to be able to be connected with that, to be a part of that, to be an ally in that, to be one who sees our suffering as connected to the rest of the suffering of the world, to be one who sees Our use of of whatever power or privilege we have is connected to the rest of the world. That is a gift that pulls us outside of ourselves. That is something that just makes us, fills us with meaning or purpose, no matter what it is we spend our weeks doing. So we pray that that would settle in and that would change us. We pray that it would feel uh, deeply true and, and, and just as inspiring tomorrow and the next day as we move forward. In your name.
2: Amen.